0: In your Bible, go ahead and find Psalm 42. Uh, Psalm 42. While you do that, I will say that it is good to be up in the pulpit here again. Uh, this afternoon or yesterday, one of the kids, my kids, said, as many people as have joined the church recently that there might be a, a bunch of people who didn't know that I worked here at one time. Uh, but it, the years that I spent here as your pastor were a joy for me. This church continues to be a joy for my family. I could not be happier. With the way that you all, starting with Pastor Jim and the deacons and the congregation following their lead, I I just couldn't be happier with the way you have navigated the reality of having a pastor resign his position and then remain in the congregation as a member. And I just want to say a very public thank you for that. It means a lot. Uh, My coming back into this pulpit to preach has been in the works for some time, going all the way back to last summer. When we first initially had these conversations, Pastor Jim asked that I return to the pulpit and preach at some point, but also give a bit of an update for myself and the school. Uh, I'm grateful to know that a lot of you pray for, for me and for our school over in Saline. This, this church has a very, very long history with Christian education. Uh, I am just one very recent part of that. Along with the history of Calvary Christian Academy on this campus and in this congregation, we have several church members working at Washington Christian Academy. We have church members working and serving at Livingston Christian School as well. Uh, for my own part at WCA, I can report that things are going well. Uh, we're in the middle of planning for an expansion of more classrooms to fit more students because we continue to grow, which is exciting. As with any construction project, especially one that involves a large organization, the reality always turns out to be slower than the hope and the expectation, so it may be a year or maybe even more before that comes to total fruition, but it's happening. Overall, things at school are progressing at an appropriate pace, I would say, despite the shortcomings and the steep learning curve of their new principal, but if you give him time, he'll catch up eventually, I hope. In returning, in terms of my teaching here at church, uh, when Pastor Jim and I talked about coming back to preach again. We initially talked about, and this is like last year, like a year, year and a half ago, about maybe a teaching unit that would encompass multiple weeks along with a regular Sunday school class and some preaching on Sundays and things like that. Uh, All of that has changed a little bit, which is why I'm preaching to you from Psalm 42 tonight, instead of starting a multi-sermon unit on Christian education. Uh, But we'll get We'll get to those details in a minute. Right now, it's high time that we read in our Bibles and make use of the the Psalms that you have opened in your lap. So look with me, please, at Psalm 42, and I'm going to begin reading verse 1 and just read through to the end of it. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng, and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. It's a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. So we read that, and I didn't read the superscript at the very, very beginning. But if you read it, uh, it indicates to us that chapter forty-two in Psalms is coming to us through the history of the Scriptures as a song of the sons of Korah. Uh, that sons of Korah were a chorus of musicians and singers that served as a part of the public worship services of the temple in Jerusalem. And so the presence of their group name here indicates to us, among other things, that this psalm was intended for the corporate instruction of the congregation as a whole when Israel would gather for worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Now that's important to note here at the outset because the exact circumstances that were encountered by the psalmist that we're reading about here are probably not going to be duplicated in anyone else's life, whether yours or mine or the original reader's here. But by framing the psalm as an element of corporate worship for when everyone gathers together, God has indicated to his people that the lessons learned by the psalmist and then conveyed in these verses can be and should be helpfully appropriated to our own lives and our own circumstances, Now, you probably noticed, as we read, that Psalm 42 is not exactly what you would call a happy psalm. Rather, from the very, very first verse, this chapter paints for us what basically amounts to a very poetic picture of distress. And it starts at the jump. Look at verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? We read those first two verses, and two things are of note right off the bat. One, that the trials the author is facing here are not quick. This is not a short-term problem. He compares himself to an animal that has been ravaged by thirst, specifically a deer that's growing faint in the middle of a drought. So it's a prolonged bout of suffering, and it helps us understand that whatever is ailing the author of Psalm 42, it has been going on for some time now as he sits down to write. And then secondly, his particular suffering that leads him to write seems to be spiritual in nature. His thirst is for God. There seems to be some spiritual isolation here. The specification in verse 2 is of thirsting not just for God, though, but for the living God. It seems to be a statement of clarification on his part and exclusion on his part. Exclusion of other gods. In verse 3, he's going to reveal to his readers that there are hostile people who surround him. And in verse 2, he seems to be excluding them and their God's little g, By saying that he is desperate for his God, big G. Now the other people that he's speaking of come into the picture in the next verse. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? That tells us that there is an element of public taunting and ridicule to his ordeal. Now, putting two and two together here, we gather that the psalmist is experiencing a time of deep distress as his normal life relationship with God has been significantly disrupted for an ongoing period of time. And then that suffering is made worse by the ridicule of others. So it's compounding on each other. And then in the next verse, just to prove that Murphy might have actually been an optimist, the next verse gets worse as we learn of another compounding element to things. Look at verse 4. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Now verse 4 is a verse of remembrance, but it's not a happy, nostalgic kind of remembrance. The author is reminiscing here of good times gone by, but his reminiscence is not bringing him joy. Far from it, actually, as the memory of what his life with God and the spiritual circumstances of his life used to be like, contrasted with now, makes the pain of what his life has become just that much worse. And this, at the end of verse 4, is an initial low point to the psalm. Right? But for what it's worth, the abject misery of it all that he finds himself in at the bottom of verse 4 seems to jolt him out of his depression at least, at least like a little bit. Look at verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. For the help of his presence, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Now, in verses 5 and 6, the author gives us a look at the inner dialogue to his mind. But this seems to be more than the normal, generic talking to yourself that all of us tend to do at one time or another, or lots of times what we see here in verses five and six and then continuing through the psalms is a tug of war between his mind and what he knows and his emotions and what he feels that neither side seems to be winning at the moment because the psalmist goes back and forth with himself almost as if he were two men of opposite mind and in the process we see lived out his faith is attempting to reason with his fears and we witness his hope arguing with his sorrows now the nasb translation of the old testament that we're reading out of tonight chooses the word despair you may be more familiar with the translation of the word word choice of cast down as in why are you cast down my soul from verse 5 and my soul is cast down within me from verse 6 Same concept, different word choices. The depths of the psalmist's anguish then can be felt in the next verse after the tug of war. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Interesting that the psalmist ascribes all of this to God himself. Your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. Verse 7 speaks of deep waters and the relentlessness of breakers and waves and the violence of waterfalls crashing. And he's in the middle of it. And the imagery here is unmistakable. Writing about Psalm 42, Derek Kidner observed he said, Here is the picture of all that is overwhelming. His footing is gone, and wave after wave submerges him. And that portrayal of being overwhelmed and plagued by events, things that are beyond your control, that is put side by side with the drought illusion from verse 1. And the result is that it lends an intensity To the realization that the predicament the psalmist finds himself in is as severe as it is prolonged and he is rendered helpless. But then the whiplash kicks back in again as the mind of the psalmist then gains the upper hand against his spirit in the next verse only to be overtaken by his sorrow again in the verse after that. Look at verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? We see it again, the back and forth of the psalmist's inner wrestling is palpable here to the point that we feel his anguish when you read the verses. I mean, you read this, and you're going back and forth from one extreme to the other, from one verse to the next, and you want to reach out, and you want to find him, and you want to alternately like smack him or comfort him, depending on which verse you're reading and what he's saying at the time. And that's not by accident that that dynamic exists it's kind of where the psalm ends and even though there's no clear resolution to things in this psalm and we have a couple verses to read still but even within the anguish and the doubts being expressed by the author there is still a little glimmer of surety right because in the same breath that he wails Why have you forgotten me? Why have your breakers overwhelmed me? Speaking to God, he also calls God my rock. Now that's a weird reality to take in, but I found a helpful comment on that dynamic reality in a rather old study book. Uh, In writing about this psalm way back in the 1700s, Matthew Henry said this, We must charge ourselves to hope in God. When the soul embraces itself, it sinks. But if it catch hold of the power and the promise of God, it keeps the head above water. Now that phrase from Matthew Henry about catching hold of God so that your head stays above the water in life, that's exactly what the psalmist seems to do in the very last verse of the chapter. After the back and forth is repeated, after he's overwhelmed and sure on the rock, after he's in despair and determined to praise God, comes verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. But as we end the reading of the psalm, note, that nothing about his situation seems to have changed. From verse 1, in the beginning, to verse 11 at the end, the trials remain the same. The taunts from the people around him are continuing. The sufferings he's under have not gotten any less. You can't even say that he's been pulled out of his depression. Because at the end of the psalm, his soul is still cast down. He is still overwhelmed by the waters of life. But what he has done is to catch hold of God. And he is clinging to the promise of God like a rock in a storm. And that analogy remains as true as it may be cliched, especially in this chapter this evening. And the chapter ends with the psalmist commanding himself To hope in God. He does not deny the reality of his situation. He doesn't have an unduly, unreasonably, Pollyanna optimistic view of his life. He knows that things are not guaranteed to get better. But he does seem to recognize that even if things don't get better, he's going to make it through. Because in the end, God will be his salvation. But also, as we say that, please note carefully that he is not placing his hope in the possibility of deliverance from his life situation. Rather, he is placing his hope in the surety of God's faithfulness, not in deliverance. Now that may sound paradoxical, but it's not. Because the hope of a believer in Jesus is never found in the relief of suffering or the alteration of circumstances. Rather, the hope of a believer in Jesus is found in God himself. Matthew Henry is again helpful here when he instructs his readers with this observation. The writer's sorrow was upon a very good account... And yet, it must not exceed its due limits. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of these many waters. Let not good men think it strange if they be exercised with many and various trials, and if they come thickly upon them. But God knows what he does, and so shall they shortly. And so, from Psalm 42... We learn the great life lesson that although life may very well bring any one of us to a point of prolonged suffering and even to depression and despair as a result, that situation of prolonged suffering in your life, in my life, wherever it shows up, is going to be because of different circumstances than the psalmist faced but God has preserved his words and his thoughts in this chapter as a means of giving us the access to, that we need to the rock that is God himself when those times in life become reality. And the beautiful thing about scripture is that though any given text has but one meaning that it was intended to mean when it was written down that one meaning is going to be applied in different lives and different circumstances, wherever you may find yourself in. Because let's face it, I mean, Calvary Baptist Church is riddled with suffering people. I mean, that's not a secret, even though some of your suffering is a secret. But whether you find yourself suffering alone or whether your name has been in the prayer guide for months, Psalm 42 can become your lifeline as it was for the author when he wrote it. Now there's a reason why we sang Lord from sorrows deep I call in both the AM and the PM services tonight. I asked for that specifically because I had chosen this chapter as the text to preach tonight. There's something special about pairing the words of scripture with music that helps our spirits more readily absorb God's word. And that song does such a superb job of capturing the despair and the depression of Psalm 42 that's in the chapter alloyed with the hope and the trust that the chapter presents to us. We read Psalm 42 and we sing the song and it can't help but dawn on us that this song, in so very many ways, is a microcosm of life, way more often than we want to admit. And I chose this chapter to preach tonight because all of this from Psalm 42 has become relevant and applicable in my life in a visceral way. A year ago, when Pastor Jim originally asked me to plan on coming to preach tonight as a means of restarting a public ministry of teaching at church, um... Well, when I made the switch from being Pastor Ernie, Associate Pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, to Mr. Bowman, the principal of Washington Christian Academy, Pastor Jim and I made a very intentional, very public decision that I was gonna take a year off from teaching anything here at church. We discussed it with the deacons, we announced that to all of you. The goal of that was twofold. One, to give me the opportunity to focus energy into acclimating to a new vocation, a new position. Being the new guy, my learning curve was always going to be steep. Uh, but also, number two, to give my replacement as associate pastor the opportunity to begin establishing a teaching ministry of his own without his predecessor being like in the next room continuing on. Both of those goals have been successfully accomplished. Right? I had a great first year as principal at the school. I'm happy to report. That plans for next year are well underway this summer as for his part pastor michael has hit the ground running as a teaching pastor in our church he he fills this pulpit he preaches funerals now he teaches youth group he leads sunday school and prayer meeting and, and in all of that accomplishing all of that i'm grateful to pastor jim For his maturity and the understanding that has allowed both of those initial goals to be accomplished. But as I stand here and read Psalm 42 with you this evening, I'll also tell you that I chose this chapter on purpose because I also have to face the fact that I'm not going to resume a regular teaching ministry at church, even though that initial one-year timeline is up. Uh, don't don't get me wrong, I'm not moving. Like, I'm not quitting my job. I'm not leaving the church. This is not a farewell sermon. But I chose Psalm 42 as our text for this evening because it now resonates in my life with an intense reality that it never did before. And so while the original purpose of my coming to speak to you tonight, way back when, was to renew a public teaching ministry instead I'm here to give you more of a personal update and explain why that's not going to happen. To do that, we're going to mentally travel back in time a little bit, uh, two and a half years ago. And to be perfectly blunt, uh, two and a half years ago, I almost died. In January of 2021, I contracted COVID. That wasn't unusual at the time. It seemed like all the cool kids were getting COVID then. And it was just my family was the next one up. And sure enough, we all got COVID just like everyone else. Uh, Not unusual. What was unusual is that I was among the very small percentage of people who developed quite a nasty little severe case of it. Uh, At one point, I ended up in the hospital after I lost consciousness and I woke up on the dining room floor to find out there's an ambulance in my driveway and there's paramedics standing over the top of me. And when I Asked them why they were there, you know, just explaining how sick I was. Uh, Dr. Bob became a frequent caller at our house, checking in with Natalie to monitor things pretty much every day, sometimes multiple times per day, giving whatever advice he could. Uh, Long story short, I made it through, but it was touch and go. Uh, Apparently, it was bad enough that at one point, Dr. Bob didn't think I was going to make it, and when... (laughs) When it was over, at the end, he said to me, as literally only Dr. Bob can get away with, he goes, man, you should have died. You were so sick, I thought for sure you were a goner at one point. I'm like, well, thanks, Bob. That's Dr. Bob for you. What this all has to do with Psalm 42 and a public teaching ministry of me at church is that since that time, when I didn't die, contrary to Bob's expectations, Uh, I've been living with some pretty significant ongoing effects of COVID. Sometimes it's called long COVID or long-haul COVID. It means that I continue to experience the symptoms of the disease on a daily basis, even though I've made a recovery from being sick. The latest data I read, uh, and I read more data than I ever thought I would on medical things now, uh, the latest data I've read shows that approximately 6% of people who had covid are reporting long COVID symptoms, with most of that 6% reporting very, very mild-like things. Uh, But just like I was among the small minority of COVID patients to have a severe case of COVID, that almost killed me, so I am also among the very small minority of patients of long COVID to experience quite severe ongoing symptoms. Some of those effects manifest themselves physically, Uh, The highlighter that gets everyone's attention is I still can't taste anything. can't taste anything. I can't smell much of anything. Would have been handy when my kids were in diapers, but we're here now instead. Uh, Physically, COVID has affected gross motor skills, fine motor skills. My handwriting is pretty well unreadable right now. Uh, I play infield for church softball, and David Jesse plays first base. And when I pick up a ground ball, he is literally ready for anyone because no one knows where the ball is going when I let it go. Like, I, just, I really can't throw a ball that well anymore. Um, in general, I guess I'm just more clumsy than I used to be. But to be perfectly transparent, I would take all of that for the rest of my life if I could just get my mind put back right the way it was before COVID. Because the most significant ongoing things that I'm suffering from and those that are leading me to not restart public teaching at church are mental not physical. It might be a devil's bargain to trade not tasting anything ever again to get my brain back where it was, but I would do it in a heartbeat if I could. It's well known that cognitive dysfunction was a frequent symptom of severe COVID, and cognitive dysfunction continues to be a significant reality for me. Um, Brain fog, uh, inability to concentrate, fatigue, exhaustion, insomnia, headaches general loss of abstract thinking. I'd give you the whole list, but that'd be boring. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but I will tell you that things have gotten to a point where I can't both do my job and keep up a public teaching ministry at church. Right? Studying, preparing, reviewing, writing sermons and lessons, that takes hours and hours of concentration and mental work that I just don't have the bandwidth for anymore right? i wish i could i miss it It was good to be here tonight it was great to talk to pastor jim in the office beforehand he's making fun of me and i'm telling him you know i was making fun of him i miss the dynamic of preaching and teaching i haven't lost the ability to teach i think i could still do some good right but covid has degraded my mental bandwidth and the energy of my brain to the point where I just don't have the capacity to both go to work and come to church and teach. It's, hard. it's a hard thing to explain to people. Um, and the hardest thing I've discovered over the last two and a half years is that it's difficult to understand because I look pretty much normal on the outside. I mean, as normal as I've ever looked. Maybe the best way to give you a sense of some of the effect that's happened on the inside of my brain is one little detail of life. Prior to COVID, and its ongoing effects, I averaged reading about a hundred books a year. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but a hundred books a year was, was about average for me. This year, uh, I'll read maybe 12 at the most. It's, that's the kind of effect that it's had on me. So instead of standing up here tonight and announcing the new Sunday school class that I'm going to teach... I'm standing up here tonight to tell you that I'm I'm not going to return as a public teacher in our church. Hopefully, I'll still do it occasionally, like the Winter Bible Study series that we do. I'd love to be a part of that if I can make it happen with Pastor Jim. But that'll be the exception, not the rule. Uh, I will also tell you it feels weird for me to say all of this to you. And I am super uncomfortable right now. Uh, because everything in me recoils at the act of putting myself and my life in front of you like this despite the fact that I continue to take jobs that require me uh, to speak out loud in front of other people I do not naturally like the attention of being a public person so I would rather keep my life to myself than share it with everyone else but my current and ongoing severe trial of long COVID has brought me to a different point there are multiple reasons why I'm telling you all of this publicly now The first of which is because I think I owe the church an explanation. The plan all along was for long COVID to go away like it does for almost everyone else. And then I would pick up teaching at church again. But instead of things getting better, things are getting worse. And I'm not able to follow through on that promise that I made before. Second, more important than that though, I don't want anyone to think that I've dropped out of church I don't want the testimony of me and my family to be that I've given up on our congregation because I haven't. I know that some of you have noticed and commented on sometimes the fact that I don't really come to prayer meeting anymore. I stopped going to men's ministry. Uh, A lot of times I'm not in Sunday school. Those are difficult choices to make. But in that, I've been helped by the example of other people in our church even if they don't know that they were helping me, I'm not the first person at Calvary Baptist Church who has had to navigate life with a painful or a chronic condition. And I've been able to watch as members of our church have lived through their own suffering and the life alterations that come with a chronic ailment. Part of what their example has taught me, some of you, is that sometimes this means you can't do everything that you want to do as much as that hurts. And the medical reality in my life right now is that a lot of the time, the mental energy and the mental bandwidth just aren't there. Last week was a perfect example. Uh, I'll be honest and I'll tell you that Sundays are hard. The day-long interaction and the mental focus that's required are just about all I can handle most weekends after a long week of being at work Uh, but last Sunday afternoon our church was planning to celebrate with the Cantrell family at a graduation open house after church knowing the reality of my world now I knew that if I was going to be able to join with our congregation in that corporate activity it would remain that I would need to conserve mental energy by keeping myself out of another corporate activity that being the case, I came and joined our church for morning service, the open house, and the evening service, but not for Sunday school. Because I know if I had done all four on the same day, that would have sent my brain into uh, well into what my kids call zombie mode for probably the next two days as I fought to recover. But even as that happens and I'm not at men's ministry or prayer meeting, even as I pull back from church sometimes, I'm, I'm desperate for you all to know as my church family that I have not quit our church. I'm not faltering in my commitment to this body. And that is part of what is driving me to swallow my preferences and tell you all of this tonight. But even more importantly than both of those is that the reality of sharing our sufferings with each other is exactly what we have been taught to do from God's word. A few months ago, Pastor Michael preached a sermon to us from 2 Corinthians 1. don't know if you remember. The message of that passage in 2 Corinthians 1, which describes God as the God of all comfort, the message is that God will sometimes allow suffering in our lives for the express purpose of our being able to share that with other people in the course of ministering to one another in the name of Jesus. Now that was convicting for me, because there I sat, still and alone, suffering by myself. I don't necessarily want the help of other people, I'm as prideful as the next guy i don 't necessarily want to tell others about my suffering because in general i don 't want to tell others anything, but the words on the page from second Corinthians that I read that morning with fresh eyes and the message from Pastor Michael were unmistakable, and in that moment, I knew that that to continue suffering alone without allowing God to use that as a public ministry to others would be to kick against the goads of the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, I also want to be very, very clear on something else, that that does not mean you have to tell everyone all of your sufferings from this microphone. Or even in the narthex, the foyer. You don't have to detail your trials for the church and the prayer bulletin or anyone else to hear. Some of you like the support that comes from sharing a request at prayer meeting. Others of you wouldn't speak up even if you were knocking on death's door itself. Now, I get that. And I want to be very careful here to leave room for both. And I would expect that you would do the same. Because we should not, please hear me here, we should not pressure anyone into sharing publicly what they want to keep private. Yes, 2 Corinthians 1 teaches us that God sometimes uses suffering so that we can share it with other people, but sometimes by definition does not mean all of the time. And sometimes church people can get a little overbearing with one another, and when we pressure one another to share what other people don't want to share, We're abusing the privilege of friendship and relationship. It's not up to me how much someone else shares with others in the church. That's between them and God. And if I was going to say things like, well, don't you want the church to be praying for you? Or, I know you want to keep it private, but you really need to tell so-and-so because this would really encourage them. Saying those things to people who don't want to share and are trusting you in confidence That's being subtly manipulative at best and maybe sinful at worst. So let's be careful there. Now, in my own case, I was a very public, upfront person in this church for several years. And my ongoing sufferings with long COVID are having a public effect. So I felt that it would be good to share them publicly. I talked it over with Pastor Jim. I got his advice. It made for a convenient excuse to eat barbecue, And we agreed together that this is what we would do. Now, all of that combined together over time is what drove me to request that we sing Lord from sorrows deep, I call in both worship services today. And it's what drove me to preach Psalm 42 tonight because I want to nail home the biblical truth of Psalm 42 Deep into the heart of our church, as it has been in mine, as I cope the last two and a half years with the cognitive struggle and face down the fact that the next 42 and a half years are probably more of the same. Now, we read the psalmist's account of sufferings and despair in Psalm 42. I've read them before. But now I understand it to a degree that wasn't possible Before. I've never been depressed before. Now I have. And I sometimes am. I've never been physically handicapped before. Now I have. Now I sometimes am. I've never been humbled before. Not like this. Now I have. Now I am. Now I know what it is to say my soul is cast down within me. And I also know what it is to command myself, as a psalmist does, hope in him who saves you. And be careful not to miss the fact that the very reality, the very existence of the command to hope, not only acknowledges, but actually requires the presence of despair. The cheerful in heart do not need to be commanded to hope. The person whose life is super great doesn't have to be commanded to hope. It is only those who suffer who must be commanded to hope. It is only the people being overwhelmed by the billows and the deep who must learn to cling to the rock. Even if we wonder if the rock is forgotten. I know there are suffering people in this church. Some of you are lonely. Some of you are broke. Some of you have been cut off from family members because of your faithfulness to Jesus. You have marriages that are hanging by a thread. We have kids who have walked away from the faith of their parents. Some people in our church have buried babies. Some people in our church live in dread of the next doctor's appointment, wondering if the diagnosis will come back. Those are prolonged bouts of suffering, Psalm 42 style. And it is for you, for me, that Psalm 42 has been written and preserved in the Word of God to acknowledge your suffering, to give voice to your anguish, and to give hope in your despair. But I have also learned that we, as people, we are perverse little creatures and that sometimes when faced with a sermon or a psalm like this one, we still try to insist that we're treading water just fine on our own, thank you. My life isn't fun, but it, I mean, I'm not suffering, at least not like the people you mentioned. But right there, Right there is a mental trick of the flesh designed to cultivate the self-reliance that will ultimately be your undoing if you indulge it. Paul wrote and he said, they are not wise who compare themselves with themselves. All suffering may not be the same, but all suffering is personal, just the same. I've been helped in that understanding immensely by the writings of Elizabeth Elliot and a little book that I would highly commend to your reading. It's called Suffering is Never for Nothing. And I think it's one of the best things she ever wrote. And in it, she defines suffering like this. And she said, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Now, that's helpful to us because it covers the gamut. Everything from what you might think is the littlest to what you might think is the biggest. And because when we are tempted to put the focus on ourselves and compare ourselves to someone else and brush off the implications of the word of God, because it's not like real suffering, it puts things back into the perspective of Psalm 42 for us. The psalmist who wrote this was not physically abused. He wasn't he wasn't abandoned by his family, he wasn't tortured or starved or beaten or persecuted. His was a struggle of spiritual isolation, but the lack of physical pain did not mitigate his experience of suffering. So too it will be for us. So when you read Psalm 42 and you contemplate life with suffering, do not fall into the trap of comparing your sufferings and yourself to someone else and to their suffering. You are not responsible for them or for their response, you are responsible for you and for your response. And in the plans and the purpose of God, your suffering is never for nothing. Your suffering is a hand in the tool, as a tool in the hand of God to mold your life and to prove His word and to prove His faithfulness for your ultimate good and His ultimate glory. Now, as for me, I'm doing my dead level best as God gives me the ability each day. And sometimes it's literally day by day to live out the truth of Psalm 42 in the middle of my ongoing trial of severe suffering and long COVID and everything that is upending just about every aspect of my life. It was not easy to sit across the table from Pastor Jim and admit to him and to myself that I can't resume teaching at church on a regular basis. I'm not used to being not able to do things. But in the middle of this mental handicap, knowing, standing here right now, knowing that the effort to prepare and deliver this sermon is going to wipe me out for two days. I'm learning what it is to hope in him who saves me while I cling to the rock of his promise that though life is not easy, we do not walk it alone. Now, for your part, I'm going to ask a few things of you. You can help me in a few small and simple ways. Right? First, uh, this might come across as rude. I don't want to come the wrong way, but so please hear it with all the graciousness and the love that I can muster. Please don't talk to my kids about this. Uh, They're well aware of what's going on. Uh, They know that I'm preaching about this tonight. That's why they're in the room to be prepared in case somebody does talk to them. Uh, We have not kept any of this from our kids. They know what's going on. Uh, Their lives have been disrupted to a significant degree by the fact that their dad suffers from some pretty severe long covid Uh, But they will not be served well by people asking how they're coping or how their dad is doing. They're kids, and they're trying their best to live normal adolescent lives, and you can best serve them by letting them do that. Talk to them about school and reading and work and fishing and travel and all the things. Just not about COVID, please. Second, you can pray for me. My condition has gotten noticeably worse over the last 18 months. But for the most part, seems to be pretty static right now. Uh, I don't want to be defined by a chronic condition. I don't want it to be a focal point of my life or my conversations any more than it has to be. After today, I'll probably return to my former habit of keeping concerns mostly to myself and a small group of others who are close around me. But I do appreciate all of your prayers. It means the world to me when people say, hey, man, we were praying for you today. I'm humbled by how much the people of Calvary Baptist Church intercede with God for each other. Please know that when I'm absent from church or even just mentally distant while I'm here, it's not because that's what I want. It's just the reality that life has brought me to. Uh, Third, you can pray for my wife. She has no idea I'm about to say this, so I'm not going to look at her because she's probably crying. Natalie is naturally bearing the brunt of this with me. It's upended her life probably the most. She's the picture-perfect example of godly desire, but it's almost impossible to convey the difficulty this has brought. She's supposed to be crying, not me. (laughs) Lastly, though, and most importantly, uh, you can internalize this truth of Psalm 42. And you can let it put the steel of determination into your own struggle and suffering when it shows up in your life. Over five years, I said multiple times from this pulpit that I wish. I could take away the excess emotionalism that seems to drive and motivate and animate so much of the Christian life for so many people. Because I wish I could just replace that with the sheer determination to do the right thing by perseverance in the Word of God and the walking with the Spirit. Because life does not very often come to us in emotionally palatable bites. So the best way you can help me is by taking what you read from Psalm 42 today and making a reality in your own life when it gets hard. Nothing warms a preacher's heart more than knowing that his efforts have led to the practical edification of his hearers. And so with that, we're gonna begin to end right where we started. What we have are the lyrics to a song that we've sung twice now, And the words to a psalm that we read twice now. Lord, from sorrows deep I call, hear my desperation. Elsewhere in her little book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, Elizabeth Elliot, a woman who knew no small amount of suffering herself, she points out the fact from the Bible that suffering gives a believer in God a chance to prove the genuineness of their faith. Because when life is difficult, will you stay the course with Jesus or will you cut and run? Likewise, at the, just about the same point in time that Elizabeth Elliot was writing that in America, on the other side of the world in the Soviet Union, Richard Wormbrand, who was a Christian pastor and a religious prisoner of the Soviet Union, he was a man who was imprisoned for his faith, And he would go on to found the organization Voice of the Martyrs. At the same time Elizabeth Elliot was writing that in America, in the Soviet Union, he was writing to encourage his fellow believers who were then being persecuted by the communists. And he exhorted them to stand strong by reminding his suffering people. He said, we give up only what we imagined we believed. Now, Elizabeth Elliot... And Richard Wormbrand are two heroes of the faith. And they lived in suffering and they died in faithfulness. But they were convinced by these words from Paul in Romans 8 that says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So yeah, Lord from sorrows deep I call, hear my desperation. But also, why are you cast down my soul? Hope in him who saves you. So for me, in my house, I do not doubt God and his word. My life is, It's not what I thought it would be. This is not a struggle I anticipated, but it has not been a surprise to God. And as the psalmist ends his chapter, so we're going to end this sermon. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I hope that when you suffer, you'll do the same. So let's pray right now and ask God for his help to make that hope a reality. Our God, this evening, I'm thankful for this church family. Thankful for what they mean to me, to my family, uh, to our place in this congregation. Thank you for the love that they have for you, for your word, for the devotion and the care that they show to your son, to your people. I pray as we read Psalm 42 together and as we face the reality of various levels um, that life will bring us, that you will help us to cling to you, and that you will make it possible through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.